Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome in to Two Man Game here on ClavesOnline.com. I'm Matthew Rocchio. That is Bob Ramsey. We're here to talk a little basketball. Rammer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to talk to you, Rock. Great to hear. Obviously, we're here to talk a lot of NBA basketball as the second round in both conferences has begun. All these first-round series are over. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the series that ended late last week and over the weekend. Obviously, the big ones, the Grizzlies, the Bucks, and then last night, the or, or I should say a couple nights ago, the Warriors beating the Kings in Game 7 to move on to the second round. But before we get into our usual NBA discussions, Rammer, we have to touch on some off-season news from the college basketball world, and that was Chris Harriman being uh, hired as an assistant coach for the St. Louis Billikens, obviously returning to St. Louis. He was with uh, Rick Majerus from 2008 to 2012, so returning to St. Louis. Your thoughts on the new Billikens, new old Billikens assistant coach? Um, well, first of all, I want to be, uh, I, I want to offer the disclaimer that I am biased, not because I'm the Billiken guy, but because I'm, uh, Chris Harriman's a dear friend. So I think the world of him going in, um, he's a terrific human being. He's a great family man for the basketball fans who unfortunately don't care about any of that. Um, he's a great recruiter. He carved his niche as an international recruiter. But um, he told me the other day, it was Majerus who told him, that's great. And it was a good idea. You got your foot in the door that way. But to have staying power, you've got to be able to recruit everything. And nowadays, that even includes the transfer portal. So Chris is coming back. Um, I think um, this is an, an overstatement, and I don't want to mislead our viewer listeners I think there's going to be some, maybe a, a very nice player coming with him or somebody that he had been recruiting that's going to follow him. So I don't want to uh, overstate things, but that's the impression I'm getting that there could be a couple of players right away that could um, reflect the hiring of Chris. That would be good news because, uh, I mean, I think we're among pretty much every Billikens fan right now wondering what's going on with with, with the big man spots because there's two pretty big wide open, you know, spots there without having any veteran big men. So I'm so wondering how that's going to get resolved. You know, last year we're talking about, would they ever make, was, was there going to be a you know backup point guard coming in a little bit bigger questions coming into the off season when you talk about potentially a starter's role kind of still being open on the floor. Yeah. The point guard thing, you've got a uh, highly regarded freshman that from the beginning, you planned on getting a lion's share of minutes at point. And will there be another guy? Don't know. Will it be Larry Hughes? Don't know. But you're right. You've got a seven-footer coming in who on tape looks like the real deal. Um, they're very excited about it. We're talking about Bruce Zhang. Mm -hmm. and, but he's a freshman. Yeah. And whether you're a freshman or a sixth-year player, one guy can't handle the whole load in the middle. So, um, yeah, there's more work to be done, no doubt. And we'll keep you up to date on all the dealings with the St. Louis Billikens. And when the transfer news happens, we'll be right here on the two-man game to break it down for you. But let's switch over to the NBA, which obviously has been crazy. Late last week, we had the surprise outings of the Bucks to the Miami Heat and the Grizzlies to the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, obviously, the Bucks and the Heat won, not having Giannis for a couple games there. And then Jimmy Butler doing what he did was obviously so incredible. It was so impressive. and, and when you watch what the Heat were still able to do 
against the Knicks, even with Jimmy Butler getting hurt with that ankle injury and still win game one. They're just a completely different team than we really expected. But the big reason I want to come back to that Grizzlies-Lakers series is just because earlier today, Sham Sharania on Twitter, um, the NBA insider for obviously the Athletic and Stadium, he threw this out. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies have informed pending free agent Dylan Brooks that he will not be brought back under any circumstances, league sources say. And that is one of the starkest things I've ever seen from a reporter about a player. I, just under any circumstances, it just seems like an incredibly stark thing for a team to come out and, and tell a reporter. After my youngest boy, who is a huge NBA fan, came home from school, as I said, he, he said, did you hear that? And, and, and he goes, I can't believe that. And I go, now he's not a fan of Brooks. He mm -hmm. goes, that's, that's pretty immediate. I go, I said, when you're winning and a given player is contributing, you can put up with a lot of bullshit. But when the bullshit meter exceeds the success meter, you, there's no tolerance, zero. And that's exactly what happened in the series against the Lakers. Yeah, and, and that was ridiculous. And here's the thing, and, and Ja is also obviously, you know, a bit problematic. He had his whole thing, and that that obviously I think, you know, you know didn't certainly help the, the Memphis Grizzlies. But when the entire season you've been the most talkative team, and then you start losing some games in the playoffs, things get a little bit tough. And then both Dylan Brooks and John Morant refused to talk to the media after some games. And obviously Dylan Brooks made it a lot worse because, again, he doesn't, you know, if Dylan Brooks was given the – Grizzlies 28, you know, seven and five, it'd be a different conversation they were having with him right now. So not only is it different in that factor, but it's also different in that Dylan Brooks just kept coming after it at any point. You know, he's the one who said the I poke bears comment about LeBron James, uh, called him old. And then when the media simply pointed out that fact, he was like, you guys are turning me into a villain, which was just the absolute worst way you could have come at that in the, in the first place. Uh, you got to embrace it, in my opinion. But the, to then continually just push away and not stand up for the fact that you've been the, the loudest mouth and now somebody's trying to shut you up, I just it, it was one of the worst looks I've ever seen for a, for a player. I was I wasn't shocked that the Grizzlies had that attitude. I was a little shocked that they publicly let that attitude be well known. The um, the, the public relations and media relations technique shown by many NBA, many athletes is um, worse than head scratching. It's uh, ridiculous and quite frankly, not well thought out. I almost said stupid, but that could be misconstrued. Certainly not well thought out. And most of the time it's not thought out because they don't care what anybody thinks. But when your club starts to think about the starts to care about what you say, you've got a public relations problem. And Brooks has got a public relations problem. Why? It, it's funny the uh, machismo and bravado that always has to be out there is so ridiculous to the point of after you barked a couple of times. And LeBron came back and had the bite. Yeah. The next time you saw the media, what would be wrong? By the way, if you want to have the media eating out of your hand, 
you kind of, I mean, what would be wrong with going, uh, that guy's pretty good, huh? Yeah, maybe I'd have not talked so much and play better and kind of laugh and people there, would people would eat that up with a spoon. There's only two, there, there's only two options, which is you either got to make a joke out of it or you have to dig deeper and go full heel. And they just kept. Yeah, and, and, and for some reason they were like, we're just going to bow out and not do anything, which is just a bad look because, again, talk all the trash you want. Part of my thing is you should be talking trash when you're when you're going down because it's the only way I can believe you're talking trash when you're winning. Is when, right. is when you're is when you're talking when you're down or you're tied. I can only, that's the only time I can really buy into you talking when you're winning. And that was the problem with the Grizzlies. They wanted to talk when they were winning and they refused to talk when when they were losing or it was tied and and they still had more game to play. And that's disappointing because you want to see a better mentality from a young group like that uh, that that has so much promise. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. And uh, I've never been a fan of the talk, although guys like Larry Bird when you and Jordan, when you look, when you see what they did and read about it, but Dylan Brooks ain't Larry Bird. <laughs> ain't that the truth? <laughs> Speaking of some of these other series that wrapped up, the Warriors and the Kings series was so much fun. I mean, I, I know there's been some uh, numbers coming out about the ratings being some of the best ones they've had in the first round in a long time. I mean, it, yeah. it, it was an absolutely incredible series, and I have to give so much credit. Kevon Looney was the problem for the Warriors in the first couple games, and he absolutely just took over and just completely dominated Sabonis the last three four games of that series. I was shocked by that. I mean, really, what the Warriors were able to do winning two away games in that series when they've been so bad on the road the entire season, I mean, we shouldn't be shocked, and you know, it shouldn't be. You know, they had to prove something to us because they are the champions. But nonetheless, what the Warriors were able to do against the Kings in that fashion, obviously behind 50 points from Stephen Curry, who just never ceases to amaze, that was an impressive showing from them. And it, and it completely changed how I think about them going against a team like the Lakers. And Looney, what he did um, on the boards mm -hmm. was uh, truly remarkable. Yeah, he was, he was absolutely insane. And again, Sabonis was beating them up, and, and he completely took away – any advantage they had down low. I mean, to put up three different 20-rebound games is absolutely ridiculous. And again, you have Draymond Green, and, and his mentality, I, I, I kind of give him a check mark going against Anthony Davis. But the fact of the matter is he's 6'6 on a good day, and Anthony Davis is 7' foot on a good day. And so you still need somebody who's a little bit taller to give you a bunch of minutes and not lose the board battle. Right against a team like the Lakers. And so Kevon Looney doing that against a guy like Sabonis, who, again, isn't the most physical, but is 6'10", 6'11", and a very good positional player. For him to do that in three of those three of those seven games, and, I mean, the, the, the fourth one where they were playing really well, he had like 14. For him to do that, it really gives you an even better matchup going forward against this Lakers series, which starts tonight and is going to be an absolutely fascinating um Game Ramer, I, I can't wait to watch that later today. Game one, 7 p.m. on TNT. That's going to be an absolute blast. Last time uh, Curry and LeBron played, it's probably the best finals uh, of this century, um, if not if not the, the best finals of the century, not involving Kobe. Hmm. It would be the that'd be the only like because it, it's either it's either Warriors and Cavs that year. Um, Cavs and I mean um, Heat and Spurs the first year, and then you have to go all the way back. Probably I'd argue to maybe Lakers Pistons when the Lakers were at the very height and the Pistons play 
this beautifully destructive defensive game. But I mean, that was the most that was that was the most watchable because it was a defensive slug match. So I mean, literally, Curry and LeBron have given us some not not just the best game single finals. They've given us probably the best 50 moments out of the you know of of the NBA in the last 15 years. And so to have them lock up in this kind of series, um, you know, both on this you know second half of their career, Curry uh, putting up 50 points at 35 years old. I mean, it's just going to be an absolute slug match. I the, I hate that the majority of my eyes is going to be on Anthony Davis in, in the post play because I think that they're honestly going to decide so much of this it's series. Key. It's key. But every time Stephen Curry steps back for three, it's, it's it's always magical. Well, and and they need it to be. Um, you know it, how they're going to. You know we're talking about how you guard Davis. How are they going to guard Curry? How how is uh, Golden State going to guard LeBron? Nobody can guard anybody because they're all great players. This is going to be along with great players playing great. These coaches um, not only having a, a game plan, but be able to make in-game adjustments rock as they go. I think the adjustments in-game will be critical. Yeah, that's, that's always a critical thing. One last thing on the Warriors before we talk a little bit about uh, the games from last night. Stephen Curry in that game, game seven, 50-point game against the Kings, Stephen Curry went seven of 18 from the three-point line. In the Suns' game one loss to the Denver Nuggets, they went seven of 23 as a team. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> Stephen Curry's ridiculous. So let's talk more about that Suns and Nuggets series. Obviously, the big win for the Nuggets in game one. They have since last night added a game two win. The Suns came out trying to shoot more threes after not taking, like I just said, almost yeah. any relative to the style nowadays in game one. And it didn't really work. And and honestly, it's a fascinating thing happening right now because what's happening with the Suns is that the thing that has made Kevin Durant teams and the Suns before Kevin Durant so special is that in the playoffs, when everyone shuts down and guards like crazy – the rim and the three-point line, because that's where everyone shoots all their baskets. You you can you find this way to win games on the margins by having better mid-range shooters. It's why Curry's dominated for so many years. It's why Durant's teams have dominated. It's why Kyrie Irving has been such a big factor at times with the Cavaliers and the Nets in his career, because that mid-range scoring breaks down defenses in the playoffs when they have to play it tighter and points are at more of a premium. Devin Booker also with the Suns has been incredible at that. But And so everyone focused on the fact that in game one, they were only taking mid-range shots and three-pointers. But no one focused on the fact that all, you add up all those shots, and there's not enough shots at the rim. And they're playing one of the worst teams defending at the rim because as much as I love Nikola Jokic, and, which is too, and it's too much, he doesn't guard the rim well for being almost seven feet tall. And so I don't know why the Suns have such a wonky game plan. It seems obvious to me that when you have – great mid-range scorers. Also, one of them happens to be a seven-footer. The other one happens to be a 6'6 shooting guard. I don't know why you're not trying to get to the rim better. Credit the Nuggets for playing good perimeter defense um, with guys like Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown, but it's inexcusable that the Suns haven't been able to assert their will on the offensive end, and that's the reason why they're down 2-0. I know last night was a bit of a slug match with both teams going under 100 points, but there's no doubt it, the Nuggets have somehow found a way, and it's not even their own doing. 
the Suns have found a way to waste their greatest asset, and that's how you lose series when you have three Hall of Famers. So why does Durant have a bad game last night? I I, I just think because he's having to do too much. I, I honestly think that we're already seeing the fact of when you have a when you have players who have to play 44 minutes every night because you have no bench. They're gonna they're gonna struggle. And here's the thing: when they're thirty something, when they're thirty eight years old, and they have an injury history, they're going to get, get they're going to get injured. Thirty seven years old, excuse me. They're going to get injured faster. And so Chris Paul gets injured in the game. Kevin Durant's having a, a slow game because again he's playing forty four minutes and has to do everything for this team to have a shot. You just don't see teams having two players with this hefty of a scoring burden and no help around them win that late into the NBA playoffs. It's, it's, you have to shorten your bench down from 12 or 13 guys to 9 or 10, but the four or five guys coming off the bench, they have to be good players. And as you can clearly see from the Suns last night, we're only getting four points from the bench and only getting, I think, eight points from everybody not named Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, or DeAndre Ayton. You can't sustain a full entire playoff series and would get 16 wins if every single night your best players have to score every point and play every minute. So I'm going to go on the attack now because you've been uh, riding the Suns for two years. I've never heard you talk about their lack of bench until now. It seems like a results-oriented argument. I, you, I, that, see, now I'll, I'll, call, I'll say this one thing. I have talked about before. I have talked before about their complete lack of a backup point guard. That has been okay. something I talked about back when they were playing in the championship. All right. Because All right. Because, Chris, because of Chris Paul's health. And that, I think, is still the biggest factor. And I think okay. when they made the trade for Kevin Durant, you knew this team is going to trade some bench for a much, much better player on the starting lineup. How is that going to fall out? The question was, could a, a Josh Kogi make the jump? jump could Cameron Payne play like he did back you know during the bubble in that first season uh after the bubble and um Zach Cram with the ringer had a great tweet last night or maybe it was the article I read this morning and he pointed out a Josh Akogi play where Akogi caught it clean on the elbow and there wasn't a nugget within a seven foot radius of him and he pumped fake dribbled turned around and passed it back to Kevin Durant who had to take a shot with like one second left on the on the on the shot clock when you have a first rounder surrounded by great talent, they're supposed to be able to take advantage of those plays where the floor is wide open and the defense isn't locked in on you. And right now, the young sons aren't doing that. Right. So, so it, it's definitely it's definitely a roster. Pass. It's it's definitely a roster construction um, problem. And you know, again, that's that's the trade you make when you make the move for Kevin Durant. And we'll see if it, if it continues to bite them. Here's the thing. Much like the Warriors, the Nuggets are not a good team away from Denver. Uh, partially because I'm sure they get a little bit of an effect from teams playing in Denver because of the altitude. But nonetheless, they're not as good away from home. And so now the Suns have two home games to tie it back up at two apiece before they go back to Denver. If they can do it, it completely change the series. If Denver gets a third game here in either game um, two, uh, three or four, I'm not sure how they don't finish this one out. Before we leave this game, um, you mentioned the score from last night. It is a hope for the Suns to 
replicate or improve on their defense? Can they win this series defensively? I I would say yes because the the Nuggets are having the same issue when it comes to everybody else playing well in that game they did. Now Jamal Murray for the majority of his playoff career has been an incredible player. Jokic even said right now we're following him and then Jokic came out the very next game and took nine shots in the first quarter which he's net which he never does. He took 30 shots in the game which is which is a season high for him this year. I think that shows right out of the gate that Jokic knew, I'm going to have to do a little bit more tonight. And so I think there's also an effect to that, too, with the Nuggets, where the, the Suns are doing a good job on the other end, and, and they're hustling down there, and, and, they're, and they're playing these guys straight up, and they're making it difficult, and basically saying, if you are the best player in the league, Jokic, you're going to have to show us and beat us with it. Yeah. And so, okay. and so I, I do think there are some good things for the Suns. I think that's why they probably – I think they pull back game three, um, and then I think game four just becomes – undeniably crucial in that series and then uh the last series was yesterday um i have no idea about the knicks um last time we talked i thought the knicks were done um and and somehow jalen brunson just has willed them game in and game out to some incredible wins here's the thing they're going up against jimmy butler who continues to will the heat to incredible things he is questionable going into game two after turning his ankle late in game one but at this point i wouldn't put anything past jimmy butler you know I mean, he's going to have a Willis Reed moment. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, the guy's going to come out bone showing and, and put up a three for a game winner or something like that, and it wouldn't shock me. I'm glad you mentioned Brunson. I watched him in person earlier in the year, and um, he is really an underrated bucket getter, really underrated. The guy, can, he knows how to play. Yeah, I don't know if I can think of an owner who's let great point guards walk away the way that Mark Cuban has. Um, yeah, no, because Jalen Brunson's not exactly Steve Nash, but I mean, you had him right there and you let him just walk away again Yeah, because of money. And so it's, it's kind of insane to me, by the way, I will say on Jalen Brunson, he makes me think that I might not, that Jason Kidd isn't as bad of a coach as I thought, but that still doesn't mean he's a good coach. Okay. <laughs> All right. I just had to make, I had to make a couple on that one a little bit. Okay. <laughs> thank you so thank you so much for Rammer for joining me on the show today. Before we go, I want to tell everybody about my friends out at Munganass St. Louis Acker. Check them out. Give them a call and you have to check out their website. If you need to get your car service, you can book it right there and you drive right on in. You leave them your keys, you go inside, you can have some muffins, you have a nice soda, or if you have stuff to do and you're not like me and you don't get to just sit on your butt and eat muffins, well then they have a they can set you up with a car, they can set you up with a shuttle to get you where you're going. Check out Munganass St. Louis Acura. It doesn't matter if you bought your car there last time. The service this time is going to be so good that you will when you need a new car. So thank you so much to Munganass St. Louis Acura. Thank you so much again to Rammer for joining the show today. Rammer, have a great rest of your day. You too, Rock. And have a great rest of your day, St. Louis. From our roots in St. Louis, Royal Banks of Missouri is branching out to continue serving you with our locations in St. Charles, Jerseyville, Granite City, and now in Hannibal, Center, and New London. Royal Banks of Missouri, the community bank in your community.